It is the Friday show, Neil Atkinson, with John Gibbons, Fuad Hassan and Harrison Warden uh, all in the room. Jordan Jarrett Bryan, Tessa Simakulwa and Andy Middleton all to join us. First game of the weekend, just Saturday, half past 12, is West Ham versus Chelsea. Here's Andy Middleton, let's go. But before we get to Andy Middleton, you'll have noticed maybe that this Friday show is out for free. Subscribers get this Friday show every single week and more than that when there's midweek Premier League games looking ahead to the weekend's fixtures. All the best preview you need with supporters from other teams letting us know what's going on around their neck of the woods. Andy is one of those contributors who we have on a regular basis talking about West Ham United. But on the whole, we're really proud of the Friday show. We think it's an excellent show to showcase the breadth of the Anfield Raps output it isn't just Liverpool Football Club. We think we do that absolutely brilliantly, but we do other bits and pieces as well. So if you've been thinking about subscribing or you know someone who's thinking about subscribing, feel free to send them this show or you yourself consider subscribing to the Anfield Wrap. This show here is just one example of what we do every single week. Joined by Andy Middleton. Uh, games come thick and fast at this stage of the season and you can get a bit lost in your own world. We were all obviously having a lovely time as Liverpool uh, managed to get themselves the fantastic victory against Everton. But whilst that was ongoing, West Ham were playing Brighton and they got an early goal, um, Andy. And to me, then it just doesn't quite go where I would have expected it to go as a game. If you'd have said to me, West Ham are going to go 1-0 up at home after about five minutes, I'd have thought they're going to pick whoever it is to playing off on the counter. Why didn't that happen? Uh, do you know what? Um, I, I didn't have good feelings about last night. I think historically we've not brought in one of our big bogey sides. I mean, we've drawn five out of the last six or six last seven or something. Um, always and I think they're a good side. They played very well last night, to be fair to them. They're, they're a good footballing side. But why didn't it happen? I just think at the moment, and, and almost since when we played you guys, uh, a bit in the Wolves game and the City game, we just we just off the pace a little bit. Um, we're just lacking a bit of that intensity and that energy and and that speed. And I think you know, you look at our key players, um, Antonio. I think particularly just looks a little bit jaded at the moment. And you, know, you can use your excuses. I've got every sympathy for him. I think you know his his trips around with Jamaica and Europa League and midweek and weekend and midweek and weekend. As you said, games are coming thick, thick and fast at the moment. And I think this was a time that sort of worried West Ham fans. I believe was not just the squad isn't isn't deep enough for injuries, but just to refresh it, just to bring something on and change it. You're asking the same same kind of troopers to pull up trees week after week. And I think it's the top half of the Premiership. I think most of our, eight of our games in December, or sorry, six of our games are against teams in the top eight in, in December. Um, that was always going to be tough. If you're off your levels at all, uh, you're probably not going to make it. And I think against Wolves, I thought we looked a little bit better against City, against Brighton. We're just, we're just slightly off those levels, and I don't think you can afford to be at the moment. Do you think there's a thing, you obviously you mentioned the game against Brighton, <coughs> really good win for West Ham. Do you think there's a little bit of a thing this season, certainly against last, where ultimately you're being taken that bit more seriously? So Brighton come to the London Stadium with a West Ham game plan. And even when the early goal goes in, do they then play within that West Ham game plan, stay in the game, don't overcommit, and then just sort of see where you are with 10 to go and the way in which a side that finishes top six gets treated? Uh, do you know what? There might, there might be a point to that. There might be a point to that. But I still thought within the first half, um, you know, they had a lot of possession and played some lovely football. We looked dangerous every time we were in the box. We, yeah. we looked far more like scoring than they did. I thought we were the more more dangerous side in the last third or looked it. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't take some chances. You have a contentious VAR decision. And Malpo, that looks like he can't hit a barn door for 88 minutes, scores a worldie in the 89th minute. So, you know, I, I, I can kind of wipe my mouth on that one and just say some of these things happen. I don't think it was the tactical genius of Graham Potter. Uh, and I don't. I said I think we weren't quite at it and we should have done better. Um, but they're, they're a good side. You know, they went to your place and got a draw. They play nice football. They don't, they're not intimidated by being a goal down. They, I think they've got a game plan and they stick to it in how they hold the ball. Um, but I can't, you know, going back to my old rants before, I can't help thinking if in the 65th or 70th minute we'd brought Origi off the bench, we'd yeah. have come away with three points. That, that's what it comes down to for me, I think, with us at the moment. Is the... Is there a move for him to freshen it up? Or is it going to be this game on Saturday? Listen, boys, just give me one more. And then he can, because of the nature of where the group's ended up in the Europa League, yeah. he, can, he, can, he can make wholesale changes and just give them a week's breather. So do you think he just goes, I need one more go yeah. from you for this Chelsea game? I, I, I do, because last night was, you know, you arguably one or two changes, what you do with Ben Rama or Bowen or fine else, whatever. But last night was our strongest side. And I don't see how you can play Chelsea with anything but your strongest side. Um, I still don't expect to get a lot out of them. Um, as I said, I actually thought we played quite well in long patches against City. I, was, I, I thought that was a step up from how we performed against Wolves. Yeah. But I just think Chelsea look even more so than Liverpool. I thought the game against when we played you guys was, was just a superb game of football. Chelsea just look a bit of a machine at the moment. I'm not really... You know, even at Watford last night when they weren't at their best and they got pulled back, they, they're finding ways to win most games and I'm I'm not sure you know, I saw them at your place when they went down to 10 men I, I think they're a tough side to take apart when we're at our best and I think if we're just off our levels a little bit just given a level of fatigue I, I don't think you can afford to rest anybody that started last night and hope to get anything last little thing then is is the idea of um, maybe just maybe looking in January do you think there's a chance uh, you'll be making that argument internally within the club that there's 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 a it's a long season. This if yeah. West Ham do want to retain European football going into next season, there there will be the need to continue to fight on two fronts, won't there? You get into February, yeah. Into March. If, if, yeah, if we're going to be that club, um, then then this is the season. And I think if you're Moyes now. With with the investment of the Czech guy that's come in, with freeing up the purse strings a little bit, he, he's not a man who spends like a drunken sailor. He's been proved to make very good use of any funds he's get. There's rumours about two or three strikers we've got eyes on. Um, what's happening at that basket case for a club down the road from you, United, who knows what will happen with Lingard. Um, I, th I think we probably, you know, if we bought in a Lingard, we bought in a striker and we bought in a centre-back and we start giving Kraus some minutes, I think we'd be good. But I, if, you're, if you're David Moyes and you go into that boardroom and say, right, there was a lot of predictions about our campaign. It's December. We're in the top four. I'm in the last 16 of the Europa League and I'm in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. I'd like three or four players. I don't see how any right-minded owner could say, no, you're not the man to deserve that. Great stuff there from Andy. Just quickly, John, on Chelsea, the ability that they seem to have to be able to make a number of changes is phenomenal, I think, in a period like this. Now, listen, the games have fallen relatively kindly for them, but in West Ham, they are playing another side who are used to European football. They're used to the three games a week or have been so far this season. But Andy was saying there, West Ham feel as though they could be a little bit tired, could be a little bit stale. Chelsea should not fall into that category, given his riches that he's got to pick from. Yeah, 
I mean, West Ham have impressed me generally with how they've coped with European football. But, you know, as Andy says, and as you start to see, there's just one or two there that you feel like they'd like to give a rest if they could, but they just haven't quite got the squad and the players, you know, especially in central midfield, they're just too, a bit too important to how they play, really. You've just got to keep asking them to, to go again. And, you know, the half 12 on, on, on a Saturday isn't, you know, no managers like it, do they? It always feels like it's, it's almost Friday night uh, you're playing, you know, when you've... Um, when you've done the midweek game as well. So I think, you know, they're going to have to dig deep. Uh, West Ham here, but as you say, Chelsea, you know, the rotation, they've got some lads coming back as well. You know, there's there's a few guys who, who they haven't been able to call on too much recently, the likes of Pulisic, you know, a few attacking options there, you know, coming back that allows them to sort of rotate as well. And so... Yeah, they look the formidable at the moment, Chelsea. Whatever, whatever team they put on the pitch, and yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough afternoon for West Ham. I think it's it's one where in in a game like this, anyway, Harrison, there'd be a lot of West Ham could do with the crowd. We went mm-hmm. there, uh, and it was it was it was a really really good atmosphere. Now, listen, all atmospheres are helped by early goals, contentious yeah. early goals. You know, we know that, but. What West Ham could do with here is is, is 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 a big day from the crowd. And again, Saturday half twelve, we all know because we've all, we've all gone to enough of them. It doesn't help with that either. It's annoying that we're in our first game back as an half twelve. We're going to be about it, but yeah, I think to win a league title, you do need things to go your way, don't you? Whether it be like you look at City when they came to Anfield, we had no Trent and Thiago, and to win titles, you do need things to go your way. Like I said, and that this could be things that go Chelsea's way. Yeah. You know, if it's an half five kickoff. At, at West Ham, you'd be thinking like, well, I think R12 just gives Chelsea that edge. And you weren't great if you offered, I think. Um, Tuchel even said himself, didn't he, that we weren't great. We got lucky to win here. And obviously, you know, Wofford can get a good result on the weekend for us again. But what's it called? It was just, they just edge out results week in, every single yeah. week. And it's frustrating, isn't it? But how long can they, can they go for? West Ham will cause them issues if if they take an early goal, I think. I think if they can compete and they don't tire, I think. The way West Ham played, just so impressive. I think even at times against City, look, City were the better side against them, but at times I always felt that they had a chance in them. Yeah. Antonio was ruthless against Laporte. Laporte couldn't get near him at times. And you're just thinking, if he can get a Thiago Silva or Christiansen physically, do you know what I mean? And they've got a chance. Just needed them to score the first goal, like Neil said. Score the first goal, I think, in... In a lot of Chelsea's games, this still remains the, the 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 thing you quite like to see. Now, listen, it might be that Chelsea go through the whole season and they very rarely concede the first goal, so it's, it's like, well, it's not a problem. But I am intrigued as to what it looks like against Manchester. Manchester United nicked that first one. Chelsea weren't mm-hmm. great, and then all the way through the game, I don't think they're quite right. Chelsea, but they, they get out they get out of that game against United with a with a with a point forward. And I think that you know, in, in all of these games, whoever it is who's facing Chelsea, they could just do with ensuring that the first goal gets to, wherever possible gets to them because that's where you. Could could possibly frustrate this team. Definitely. And, and you know, we've seen with Chelsea, I think, as good as they've looked, it has been in patches, you know, it has been in in, in bursts. And I think, you know, that if you look at Liverpool and, and Man City this season, they've, they've been able to look large parts, you know, 70, 80 minutes of, of the 90 look really convincing and have that little wobble for a little bit. And I just feel like Chelsea, even though it's a little bit worrying, you know, when you see that they get these, they nick these 1-0s against Brentford, well, you know, Brentford hit the bar, I don't know how many times, the same thing, you know, Watford <laughs> as well. Yeah, but that, those are all little things that, you know, if, if we were talking about Liverpool doing the same thing, we'd be saying, oh, this looks like a team that might just, you know, might just have everything going their way. But yeah, West Ham, I, I do feel like the 
front three look way more threatening as a whole this time. I think Fornals, you know, as great as he has been this season, there's a little bit more goal threat about him. And if if they can get those players involved and 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 sort of you know as as great as Chelsea's fullbacks are, they do like to bomb on. And if they can get them in those positions, then they've shown this season that they can cause loads of damage. Indeed, uh, Newcastle versus Burnley's three p.m. is the next six pointer in Newcastle's run of six pointers. I I happen to accidentally watch Newcastle versus Norwich, John, and. Obviously, it's skewed by the early yeah. red card, uh, but it's sort of still hard to know exactly what 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 Hal was looking for. Newcastle were really, really tenacious. They just weren't very good, and that I think sort of still remains the problem. The thing is, I don't think Burnley are very good either. So it's 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 not going to be a thriller. This I don't think is a game on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's arguably the tensest and possibly the most important game of the weekend. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's an interesting one with the week, isn't it? Because obviously, Newcastle play close to 19 minutes with 10 and put a lot into the game. You said they weren't very good and I, and I agree with that, but the effort well, I thought was outstanding, you know, considering, you know, they had 10 players and, and they put a lot into it. It would have been easy to fall into your shells to feel like you just had nothing's going right for us and yeah. all that sort of stuff and well, they don't do that. Yeah, yeah, they, they, were, they were sort of very front foot and, and still trying to press and, and stuff like that, but that'll take it out of them, whereas Burnley, you know, end up with a week off, don't they, you know, so it's, yeah. I think it's, a, it's an interesting one, really, you know, looking at that, you know, in terms of, you know, where, where the teams are. I, I think barely, you know, they know the terrain as well, don't they? You know, they've, they've been down there for, for, for a while now, really, and then they always sort of find their way. And, and that's what, you know, the manager will be sort of telling them, really. So I feel this is a tough game for Newcastle, all in, to be honest with you. You know, they, they need a win, they want to win. It's a really tough run after this. I remember speaking to um, Alex Hayes from True Faith a couple of weeks ago, and he said we need, you know, four points minimum out of Norwich and Burnley because... After that, you know, the, the you know, it, it gets the, the fixtures are really, really hard. Well, they've got the draw, so they need to win this really, you know, to, to sort of, you know, for, for their survival. And, and I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be nice either. Burnley don't need Fuad to turn all draws into wins, but they could do with turning the occasional draw into a win as well. Now, there's there'll be a thing here, I'm sure Sean Dyche should be thinking, well, just don't get beat because it maintains the gap between us and them. But at some sort of point, the draws that Burnley have been having are going to have to turn. They could do with uh, Corne uh, finding that goal scoring form again. Mm. Chris Wood, we've said in the past, he's a striker who's able to play in patches. The they're, they're able to threaten. Burnley, it's just turning that threat into the idea, as I say, of, of, of getting a couple of goals clear. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned turning the draws into wins. That's sort of been how they've how they've survived over the last few years. Yeah. They do get those wins in the, in the games maybe where you don't quite expect it. There's, you know, late, a late winner with, with, through a corner or something like that. And yeah, you know, much of that team is still there, to be honest. So you do you do think that they, they, they can find that form again. And, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see with this one because, you know, Newcastle... The attacking players are are good. You know, Wilson is, is a good striker and they do have some others there that can cause damage. I'd, I'd be interested to see how Burnley approach it. I'm sure it won't be too different to their normal kind of... But you know what Burnley are going to do, Harrison, and, and Eddie, how can plan for what Burnley are going to do? What what you're able to say about Burnley is they haven't actually lost since an EFL Cup game on the 27th of October. Now, there's been one postponement in there, but, you know, through that little run, they got the points at Chelsea. They end up with a, th- with a mad 3-3 against Palace that no one saw coming. There's a nil-nil against Wolves uh, in there as well. There's a win against Brentford. There's a draw against Southampton. It is not just... It's not, it's not bad, but the point being is that they still find themselves in the bottom three, and it is that little spark that just gets them to get get a bit of breathing space. I'll have been impressed with Burnley's evolution, you could say, to a degree, where they've brought in Corney and they've had Dwight McNeil on the other side. I think that was always... I don't know if it would come, but I always felt that it should come, where they've added 
an extra wing, an extra bit of pace. And I think Norwich do agree with you with that pace. You can see that it just it just gives them that that chance where they can get up the pitch quicker and get balls into the box earlier. And I was impressed with them. I think that run of games that we've said is impressive. But the Premier League's improved so much. Teams are taking points off each other left, right, and centre. So maybe the but the teams that just survived in the last couple of years survived by taking points off each other, but now teams are taking t- t- points off top teams. So you look at Burnley, they're taking points off Chelsea, and that's how the season's going to pan out. It looks like I think the teams who do win the league are going to win on less points because the bottom teams have evolved. Burnley are just one win in 13, John, and that Newcastle are no wins in 14. You know, this is the value of the three points here, and that's why, as I say, I think at first day, I think it's the most important game of the weekend, but secondly, I think it's the tensest game of the weekend. Burnley can maybe play with a teeny bit more freedom than the ones who are away from home. There's a chance, I thought, that you got to see because the red card St. James's Park very much rallied around Newcastle whilst they were drawing against Norwich. There's a chance patience might be in slightly shorter supply uh, if it's 11 v 11 and it's just not going Newcastle's way. Yeah, because it means so much and, and I think that's fair. But what I would say is that the Newcastle, obviously, they've obviously been buoyed by the takeover and it's a supporter base that are, that are determined to sort of you know, make the best of sort of the, 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 the situation that they're in and, and enjoy it. And, and that's what, you you know, when you hear from Newcastle fans, they say they want to start enjoying it again. So I think there will be, you know, they'll go into it with, with the mindset of wanting to get behind the team, you know, wanting to support them. But as you say, Neil, because there's so much rider on it, you know, the longer it goes on, the longer it stays, Neil, Neil, you know, tension's inevitable really because it matters so much. And, and that's what Bailey wants. You know, Bailey will want that. And, and, you know, want Newcastle to start, you know, getting a bit edgy and, and then they'll be able to sort of hit them. It's a... It's a huge game, and the more you the more you discuss it, you know, always the bigger it gets. Yeah, it's almost frustrating. We're playing at the same time. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, um, the, I'm going to ask you. I, you know, I, I think predictions are a bit moody in general, but I want a prediction. I think Burnley will win. Yeah, I think Burnley will win. I think it's got Burnley written all over it. Wow, to do it. Do you know what to do, Neil? Yeah. Wow, what a clean sweep that is. All right then. Uh, I mean, don't even bother playing the game. Now the pool's final decided. Uh, speaking of the idea of turning draws into wins, Southampton versus Brighton, it seems clear. Everyone knows, John, which of these two teams is better. I don't think any. What you know, the if you, if you were to sit any group of football supporters down, we've watched certainly in the flesh both of these sides so far this season. We've all been in a position to do that to see them in the flesh. We know who we think is better. We know what we think. We know everything we're talking about on this sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is that if Southampton win this home game against Brighton then they are only one point behind Brighton in the table. Further, Brighton have not won a game of football, any football, since mid-September. And it is... There are points where stopping winning is a problem. Winning is a habit, which also therefore means not winning is a habit. And Brighton have that habit. And they've got into the habit of, of not scoring goals. And I think that could get in your head as well, you know, for forwards. You know, it does. It seems to, you know, he's rotated, he's tried different things, more, more pace been in and out of the team. I said he's picked him, he's not picked him. And it, it seems to be no matter sort of who they go for and what combination they go for up top, you know, it's a similar problem of, of playing well, creating chances and not taking them. And, you know, you talk about habits there, that can start to sort of get into your head really. I, I know you feel like they're going onto the pitch now, you know, worrying about scoring goals, you know, rather sort of expecting to really. I think it's only, you know, one or two goals in the last five games for them. And, and so it's, you know, it, it, it's impossible, you know, to win games if you're in that situation, no matter how well you're playing. It's, 
it's been a case for a while now as well. Obviously, we we, we speak to uh, Alan Wears from Albion Road, and you know he always comes out and says, "I feel like I'm saying the same things." Tears mm-hmm. feel like a broken record. It's it's missed chances. It, it's it's frustrating. You know they've got a good side, a really good coach. You know the well drill. We saw how good they were at Anfield, but it's just been hard for them because they're not getting the goals, and so the the, the results that the performances allow. I just wonder whether this game is a bit nicely set up for them. Obviously, it's away from home. They've had some problems uh, with the crowd recently. That's been sort of well documented. So maybe, you know, a, a bit of a South Coast derby, you know, somewhere else sort of might help them, I don't know. Harrison, I think there's something interesting in Brighton where I think that the sort of team, there's a thing that I think happens to football teams sometimes in, 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 in all leagues, I'm sure, but where they're suited to play a certain type of football against a better side, better side. and that's when they'll shine. What's difficult for them because they haven't got the quality, especially in the final third, especially the idea of the talismanic forward who, who changes it for you a little bit. It's it's difficult for them with the sides to whom they should theoretically be superior. In a way that, you know, we've seen in the past different Liverpool teams at different times, you're like, well, I just can't do it against the smaller sides. And and one of the one of the things around that is just just being able to get your foot properly on the throat. I think they, they almost need a contest, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, think, I think they need, they need a contest. And, 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 yeah. Southampton will do a bit of that, though. Well, exactly, that's why I think yeah. it might suit them. It might suit them playing off from the back. Southampton pressing high, because to be fair to Southampton, they are good at it. Obviously, at Anfield, they weren't, but we're just different. Down yeah, to, yeah. We're a different beast to them. But I think them coming at Brighton, Southampton coming at Brighton, will suit Brighton, as we're basically saying. Um, Brighton's got so many good players. I think I agree with you, John, the mental side of it, where they know they've got a score. It's not coming natural. They've got so much pressure on it. But I just think, I was watching them against Leeds, and obviously they hit the post box three or four times. And it just, it's, it's some chances. Yeah, they, they, it, felt like, it felt like you were watching Brighton last year. They create, 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 and they just can't put it to bed. But I'm watching players, and I'm like, Joe, if you just watch Trossard, he just looks like a Liverpool player. I'm not saying we're signing, but just, just the way he plays, the way he presses, how good he is on the ball. And they've got very, very good players. Lamptey looks like he's hitting his, yeah. his height. He, every time he goes down the right channel, Lamptey is such a threat. Mm. He is. And I think they'll cause Southampton loads of problems. I think, again, it could be like the Newcastle thing where, Newcastle Bain game, where if Brighton do score first, they could go on to really punish Southampton. But Southampton, again, they're a solid side. Adam Armstrong, I think, even though he hasn't scored the goals, he'd like, he's a problem up front. He reminds me similar to Vardy in a way, where he's 100% committed, runs in behind, and it's a very well-balanced game, isn't it? Where both teams can cause each other issues, but I think if both teams turn up, Brighton, the much better side, and if they, especially if they score first, I could see three or four going in. You feel like Brighton almost need that, almost the equivalent of a really good warm bath of a game with the results hitting them with the ball hitting the back of the net through, I don't know. You feel, so as do though, <laughs> you feel as though that's what they'd want. They'd want that sort of, that release of this is it now and then and then they can almost reboot the season again in the way in which they started so strongly. You feel as though that's what they need. What I would say is the manager, the Southampton manager got a lot of criticism for, for his setup at Anfield mm. but I think that there's an element there where he knew he had the three games in a week and if there was one where he was going to take a few chances, do something a bit different, mm. it might as well be the Liverpool one even though it's the first one. I think, you know, if, if Southampton take four points from the three games, include the Liverpool one, it's a good week for them. So I think there's a, the, the, there's something in this for both sides where they could just sort of do with putting everything behind them and, and almost being able to do this next run of games afresh. Exactly. They, they both need to kind of lift this this air of of not winning, really. And I think with Brighton, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you you always feel like any, every time I see anything from Graham Potter, it is, it is always positive about the performance. And, you know, you kind of wonder how much can you do with them not putting the chances in because the, everything they do right up to the goal, 
goal is, is you know, it's perfect. It's, it's exactly how you'd want as a manager. And it's, it's a weird little dynamic there, I think, where, you know, the players maybe just need it themselves as well to, to, to confirm that they can, that they can score goals and they can go on. You know, Mope is their top scorer, I think, on, on five goals. And, you know, I feel like we've been saying this for two, three years now with Brighton, where if they just were more clinical, they'd be, you know, at a completely different level. And I do wonder how that comes about. This, this sort of game probably does suit them because they will have chances. There should be gaps. There should be spaces. But the same thing happened against Leeds and it's just about taking those chances. So, yeah, I, I, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a really interesting game, be a really entertaining game, I think, because both teams have, you know, are very sophisticated in how they, how they play their football. Uh, but I do think Brighton can edge it, especially if they, like Harrison said, if they take the first goal, I think that just sort of confirms everything in, in them in terms of their finishing ability and, and they could go on. Uh, Wolves, Liverpool then, the three games in a week thing, Harrison. Wolves have been really parsimonious this season. What I would say, you know, the expected goals as well, not just the goals themselves. They've only conceded 12, but the expected goals is less than one a game, uh, which is the third best in the league, better than Liverpool's, I hasten to add. But they haven't played any of Chelsea, Man City or Liverpool yet. Palace are just behind them uh, on uh, best performance in expected goals conceded, and they have played all three. Um, it's it's going to be a test for this Wolves team. But the three games in a week thing, I think, it's a smaller squad anyway, Wolves. They've got a couple of injury issues and he's just been having to ask them to go and go in this little week period. And I think that that could really play into Liverpool's hands across the course of 90 minutes. Yeah, it can. I think, to be fair to Wolves, I think the first 25 minutes, I think we tend to start fast. I think, by the Arsenal game, I think we started fast in a lot of games this season. And maybe it might be a game where, like Arsenal, where we, we slow down early. We just get control early because Wolves, again, their ground, their atmosphere, they'll produce something good there. Do you know what I mean? They're a good set of fans. and Molyneux will be loving this. Yeah. We're really up for it. Yeah, they will. They will. And I've been a couple of times and it is, it is a good atmosphere. Bear in mind it was under the lights. Like, but this won't be... This might suit us in not being under the lights like we were saying before. But this three-game in a week thing, we've done it for years, haven't we? Klopp's has used to it for four or five seasons. Now, Wolves, this is where we'll probably find them out. And it's probably a good time for us to play them. They're a quite old squad in the middle of the park anyway. And mm. I think we'll really hate them. To be fair, you look up someone like Jimenez as well. He's come back from that injury. He had a long layoff three games in a week for him you're looking at things like that and a lot of things fall into place we're flying at the minute and I think we can really really hate them and it's not that Wolves are a bad side it's, I don't know they conceded that only that amount of goals and it's credit to them I think at the start of the season they probably could have scored more as well yeah. they've created chances to Everton they've got a good, few good signs as well the left back the left wing but they were talking about I'm sure you'll get on to and Trinkau I yeah. love watching him play absolutely great play I think if they can get in the final third they'll cause anyone issues but it's hard to get up there and the speed that they do. Yeah, they're a nice team and they've got good players, but I think Liverpool are just another level at the moment. And I think we'll go into this, you know, buoyed obviously by by the Derby win. And, you know, I think it's it's a similar sort of time to what we've played them before as well. You know, Harrison, you mentioned there a couple of wins, you know, they were they were different times of the day, but it was shows just before Christmas and and maybe sort of that suits us really, you know, when 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 the, the games are coming thick and fast really, it suits us to sort of go there and when Wolves are sort of a little bit more tired than, than, than what they normally be. I think it'll be a, a good test for Liverpool, but I just think we're playing so well at the moment and there'll be so much confidence. You know, throughout the squad, I think we're going to cause Wolves a lot of problems. It's interesting what you said. They haven't realised it. They've not played any of the top teams yet, and I think you know it'd be a it'd be a jump up. Wake up call for them, all yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, just just on it, John mentioning there. You know, obviously how parsimonious Wolves are versus the fact that they're suddenly against coming up against the most goal scoring side in history. All of a sudden, what you know, we're watching a lot of Liverpool, and this it feels like a maybe a question that we're not asking. But, and maybe one of the reasons why we're not asking it is because the personnel are very, very similar, to be honest with you, like literally the same humans. 
what's changed in Liverpool's attacking play? Because that to me seems to be, you know, it's 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 a key question. What what is it that this Liverpool team is currently doing differently that it wasn't doing almost Park last season? If you want, so, you know, let's compare it to, to the sides that get ninety odd points. You know, but what's what's moved this attacking play up a notch? I think it's the midfield, and I think it's we're, we're expecting now much more from our central midfielders, and it was always the case of, you know, the midfield was. You know, it enabled basically the rest of the squad. So it was really the engine of the team, wasn't it? And I thought it was interesting. Obviously, they let Genie go. They were quite sort of happy too. Genie Wijnaldum was a was a brilliant player for Liverpool, sort of in my opinion. But I think they wanted to go on. Obviously, they start the season with Harvey Elliott in centre mid, mid, don't they? So you know, he, he obviously gets the the bad injury at Leeds, and but that's a real sort of statement of intent. That not just giving a young lad go, but the kind of player he is. He's been a forward, you know, his whole career. Um, I mean, his career. Think about how he adapted. How he adapted to that. Role well, as well, credit yeah. to him, that isn't I mean, it? It's credit to him, but I think the fact that you know the statements, and then, and then since then, you know, they've, they've tried different things, and then Henderson's just playing out of his skin there. But, but you see what that their midfielder is doing this season, it's basically an extra forward, you know. When you look at you know, I know you look at the, the, the heat maps and stuff like that, Neil, when you do the stat shows and, and things like that, and that. That, that third midfielder, you know, it's Henderson at the moment, it's been Chamberlain before, that was Elliot, you know, there's been a, a couple of others really, he's, he's as high up as those four, so I think it's, it's almost a 44 for now Liverpool and, and people are finding it really, really hard and that right hand side at the moment, it's, a, it's, it's, it's Henderson, you know, Trent, who's, who's coming inside a little bit more Salah and stuff, you know, teams are finding it almost yeah. impossible but to defend. on the other side... Thiago's now got license to drop deeper and get on the ball and teams yeah. don't know what to do they don't know where yeah. to go if they don't press Thiago yeah. there's going to be space for Jota yeah. do you let Thiago have time on the ball do you let him one of the best passers in the Premier League have time on the ball and then Jota I think has improved so much in dropping in the pocket yeah. I think Jota's game's gone up the level and even little things like do you ever remember the story that came out before when we got the penalty in Madrid and it's the Henderson to Mane pass we do it at Goodison. The ball comes yeah. to Jot, uh, set it to Henderson, and Manny makes that one. Do we score off? I can't remember. Yeah, that well, comes back yeah, to back to, yeah. back to Henderson. Yeah. There. And it's like we've now found a balance. And I think that Thiago role. No one trusts out Thiago and Fabinho. I'll just stop them. There's a time when Thiago gets the ball very close to our box. Well, not our box, but on the touchline, very close, very deep into our own half, and he's getting pressed. And I'm looking on the TV, and I'm like, he's got no way out here. Yeah. Plays to Robson without the press, and we're out. And when yeah. we're out the press, we're on a five v five, and he'd back us against anyone. So I think Thiago. Dropping in deep, it's almost like it's not a four-two-three-one, but Henderson doesn't drop deep to get on it. Henderson stays high yeah. to make the other centre mid occupied, and Thiago drops deep, and we kill teams. Is this this is the gamble though, isn't it? Because when it's not quite gone right in a couple of ways this season, you left if you if you've effectively sent whoever's the right hand side at centre mid, whether it's Elliot, whether it's Jones, whether it's Chamberlain, whether it's Henderson. If that one's been sent there, then whoever's there for if there's an issue, because the West Ham counter attacks a really good example of yeah. it. Fabinho loses it, and Liverpool have got no cover. What? Whatsoever. And that's the that's the gamble Liverpool are taking, isn't it? That is the, the gamble is we can it almost happens a couple of times against Everton. Everton you know, score uh, down that yeah. side, yeah. that space opens. You know, that's I think that's where if if you are just a slight that change of positioning when we have got the ball therefore means there's, whoever it is who's playing that right-hand side role has got so much more ground to cover back in and we've got to accept that's the gamble as supporters. Yeah, and, and the players as well, you know, and it's, it's, it would be a brave, aren't we? It's a, it's a very brave way of playing, really, but and the, the players are being brave, the supporters need to be brave and it's funny, isn't it? Because we can beat Southampton, for example, 4-0 and then there's people afterwards saying, oh, could have been a bright in that, you know, it's, so, so, it's, it's, it's taken a while for us all to adjust to it, really, but the manager is backing the players 
players, he's backing the players to play this style of, of play to basically outscore the opposition, outshoot them, and, and they're doing it at the moment. Yeah, it's almost like everyone looks a, a yard quicker as well. It's just everything that, from the passing to the movement, it's it's so quick. You, you look back to some of the highlights against Everton and the way they're fizzing the ball into each other. Yeah. You know, that, that that's something Back that we've seen. Yeah, yeah, Checking it's so precise. Checking behind them constantly. To yeah, the exactly. I've seen Henderson so aware on the pitch. Yeah, and, and you got Trent doing the same thing, you know, that we're coming in those inside positions with Thiago as well. And like you're saying before, you know, if you're, if you're pressing either one of them, you know, if you leave one, you've got the other one open. And the way they're interchanging on that right-hand side, especially, you know, there's one, that Mane chance against Everton where, you know, he heads it and Pickford saves it. But that's Henderson getting down the byline. And the way Salah and, and, and Trent move is so intelligent. And, it, you know, if you were a full-back player coming against that, you just wouldn't know who to follow, where to go. You'd be looking at your midfielders, but your midfielders have got other things to deal with so it's just they're causing sides such a problem um and you know long may it continue i think, it, I think it's interesting for the weekend though what wolves are going to do knowing that that's the space open yeah. are they going to put triore in that pocket and tell him not necessarily to tra- um, track Trent back but to stay in that pocket knowing there's a chance we all know he's not a great finisher but if he's in that area and he's got that space who's going to stop him well the, the player you know you and i talked about harriet harrison sorry is uh is eight nori uh, before the game and Nori to me, whenever I've seen him play for Wolves, he looks like an absolutely tremendous mm-hmm. prospect. He's the left wing back, and it, you know, and I, I'd like to think he's excited. Uh, I'd like to think there might be an element of sleepless nights about it as well, where he's thinking, "I've got, I'm, he's, you're going to end up with so much to do in this little position." And I'm very interested in in and how Nori gets on because whenever I've seen him, I've gone, "There's a real footballer there." Yeah, There's a lad who yeah. could play Champions League over a period of time. He's only twenty still, so you know, he's got this, he's got this huge opportunity at Wolves, but he's got a massive test Bo- going both yeah, ways. Both I ways. think against Liverpool, Liverpool down that right hand side just caused so much chaos, hacking exactly. overloads, don't we? And he's going to be lost at times he's a very very good player he caused Everton a lot of troubles I watched him and how he is on the ball as well you trust him I think if Wolves are going to play out at times the best bet probably is down there left hand side or right hand side because he is very very good with the ball and he's going to have to be checking his head absolutely everywhere because he's going to have Henderson running one way Salah coming in Trent the other way Jota's even going to come in the pocket even Manny might come over for attacking overloads he is going to have he's never going to be tested like this in his life so maybe that's something that we can play on we can respect that he's a very good player but he's now not played against Liverpool he's not played against the 4v1 overloads that we're going to create Okay then uh, Liverpool can also pull Sace out into that area too just very very briefly on Watford versus Manchester City John Watford, Watford are stable at the minute. I think it's interesting the 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 fact that they make it difficult for Chelsea. They obviously get the victory against Manchester United on their own ground. They appear to have got themselves into a slightly sort of a much calmer place with Ranieri than they were. But what City used to do to them, it must be a concern going into this. If you're a Watford player, you've you you played in those games. You know what this you've you've you know you've 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 been beat eight nil by this by this side and. I really think if you're Ranieri, you've got a bit of work to do this week and you've also got to have the idea of, lads, let's just get to 30-0-0. Can we just get to 30-0-0 and see? Yeah, and it's 6-0 and a final as well, yeah. like something like that, like we're it's, it's like 2D, you know, it's an FA Cup final, it's what you saw as a dream of as a kid and then suddenly you're getting beat 6 nothing. <laughs> it's like, it's not pleasant at all. And so so those kind of things will be around the club and, and those kind of things will be going into it. But listen, he's, he's got some big results around the area um, since he's been in there, hasn't he? And, and you know, he's so he's able to, to tell the players, you know, hopefully for them a little bit of a different story that, you know, would, we'll, we'll, you know, push that out of the mind. Remember what we did? You know, remember how hard we made against Chelsea? Remember the win against against Manchester United? Remember when we went to Goodison, what we just sort of did there? And so, you know, he's, he's got a sort of almost changed the narrative, which I think, you know, he is sort of capable of doing. But, it's a big game, but they're obviously in a much better position, aren't they, Watford, the way they sort of looked at, you know, a, a couple of months ago. And But 
you know, they're still in a fight because there's good teams down there and so they'll know that and they can't just throw this game away. You can't. They, they were unlucky, weren't they? On the weekend, on the weekend for the week against Chelsea, as you said before, Tuchel said that they were lucky to get points against Watford and that must be a confident booster. I'd say, I listened to Ben Foster and he said that there's two or three teams in the league that, you know, you're not going to, not necessarily know that you're not going to take points against, but he's basically saying the 17 other teams, yeah. you, you've got every chance to take points against, but the other couple, so you'd put City, Liverpool and Chelsea in the category where, look, it's basically a free hit, but, You'd look on it as a free hit, but they got beat by Leicester and Chelsea. You can't lose three in a row. Well, you can because it's City, but I mean, you can't take this game as a free hit. We can't, you can't, yeah. you, do you know what I mean? And I think that's going to go against them. They've got a result at Leicester, which they're probably unlucky not to in terms of getting beat 4 2 at Leicester for Watford. They had a good goal, scoring goals. I've seen a stat before. Only Salah's got more goals and assists this season or more goal involvements than Dennis. Not a yeah. bad signing. Do you know what I mean? They've got a tackle for million. Yeah. yeah. Done well with them. The. We expect our City to win. We yeah. expect City to win. We've had a chat before. We expect Liverpool to win. We expect Chelsea to win. Mm-hmm. Those three things happen throughout, and I don't think the, you know the, the, it doesn't feel like we're 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 pushing against the bounds of credibility here. <laughs> if those three things happen, the gap between Liverpool and third and West Ham in fourth would immediately would be ten points. Fifteen games in, it would be ten points at that moment. And I think that you know, without going all Ali McCoist, uh, he's having a good go at it midweek. I think that. That gap actually feels about right. It does feel as though there are these three sides who are that much better than everyone else in the country. They're that much better than the very best of the rest. Yeah, and probably the best in Europe as well, if you're, if you're really looking at it as a whole. Because, you know, the, the, the gap, you know, when we lose to West Ham and you kind of look at the points and you're sort of thinking, this doesn't, this doesn't look right, this doesn't feel right. And now suddenly it's, it all seems to be looking how it should be and, and, and how good all three of these teams are. One thing I would say, though, is, you know, Liverpool and Man City are used to this. They're used to they're used to having these gaps from the last couple of seasons. They're used to making it, you know, two against you know a race between two, and everyone else fights for the rest. And you know, I'm not saying Chelsea won't be able to handle that because they they clearly can. They got into this position and they've got such good quality. But that there are two sides there that are experienced in this and experienced in it being such a tight you know line because there are going to be drop points. There are going to be you know game. We've seen it already. There are going to be games where someone someone slips and then maybe the other team slips as well. But then the other one comes in and capitalizes on two drop. Uh, two teams dropping points, but I do feel like Liverpool, Man City are best are best poised for this. You know, even 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 simpler the fact that they loads of the players that they have have been through this. You know, virtually this entire Liverpool team has been through this, so I am counting on that experience to come through. Okay, uh, that is all the Saturday games dealt with. On Sunday, there's uh, three 2pms. We're going to focus in on two of them. We'll let Leeds versus Brentford uh, have their own piece uh, this week. Uh, we'll come on, we'll have a chat about Tottenham against Norwich. But before then, uh, I've got Tezos and McCulloch on to talk to us about Manchester United after the victory against Arsenal yesterday uh, with an eye on Palace on Sunday. I hope you're enjoying this Friday show. It's one of my favourite things to produce every single week. It keeps you in touch with what's happening all around the grounds, all around the way in which different football supporters feel about their football clubs and with us being able to have a little bit of a chat about them as well. Uh, we do this every single week. There'll be also one for the midweek games as well as they come. We're going to be around for free on this show right the way up until the third round of the FA Cup, just to give you a window into what you can get if you subscribe to the Anfield Wrap. Joined by Teza Simical, we to talk about Manchester United versus Arsenal. Uh, Manchester United, um, first and foremost in this, uh, and have a little look ahead as well to United's game against Palace at the weekend that I think could be an excellent game of football. The first thing that I think matters I, in this, Tezzer, is obviously the, the, the new coaches in and around. But the other thing that happens is that United have a quite odd piece of adversity to get over. And towards the end of the Solskjaer sort of period, it looked as though they were struggling to get over certain pieces of adversity. 
all of a sudden it would have been easy for United to have excuses to hide. They don't against Arsenal. They get themselves back into the game and ultimately win it. Yeah, I think yesterday, um, obviously it was Carrick's final game, which we didn't know it was going to be Carrick's final game. Um, it turned out to be a positive uh, three points. I think he was able to bring Ronaldo back into the fold after Ronaldo missed out um, against Chelsea. And the game was, well, it's a bit cliche to say, but it was a game of two halves where I think United were better in the second half, a bit poor in the first half. Um, it took, took them a bit of time to get going. Um, Fred was typical Fred. <laughs> he uh, injured the hair. I think he then got an assist, and then he also was key in winning the penalty. So it, overall, it was it wasn't an amazing performance, but it showed promise that the players are ready for the fight for the rest of the season. The the interesting thing that's changed um, is Sancho. All of a sudden, it feels as though that's been the the marked sort of Solskjaer to Carrick difference is a commitment to Jaden Sancho, which I, I would have expected to have seen earlier, regardless from Manchester United. But he's been pretty determined, hasn't he, to get Sancho central to what United are doing? Yeah, I think I think what was interesting um, against Arsenal last night was he played Sancho from the left instead of the yeah. right in the other games. Um, so I think that showed that Carrick has has worked with these players and. You know, he came up with a specific tactical plan to let's target Arsenal's right-hand side because all our goals came from, um, well, I know Rashford uh, assisted for Ronaldo, but the majority of United's good play came down the left where he had Sancho um, trying to get one-on-one with Tomiyasu and then Fred making underlaps and then even Ronaldo drifting over to the left-hand side. Um, it was It's clearly, it's probably been a clear tactic. Now Carrick's took, taking the reins to, um, to give Sancho more freedom and the license to probably be the key playmaker alongside Bruno. Do you think, therefore, that might have stemmed from conversations had around Randnick? I mean, Carrick's been very, very clear in saying, well, I haven't spoken to him and I haven't spoken to him. But there's, firstly, football managers aren't actually, or people who work in football aren't actually under an obligation to tell the truth. It's better if they do for all of us, but they're not actually under an obligation to do that. But also there's other ways in which messages can be communicated uh, as well over. Do you think that, you know, Rangnick will have seen what Sancho did in Germany? Do you think he'll know he's used to that sort of approach, the approach that he's likely to take in terms of higher intensity, in terms of better tactical structure, in terms of looking to hunt the ball down a little bit more? Do you think there'll be a plan to keep that with Sancho, that Sancho's in there now for almost for good. Yeah, I think as well, I think what Carrick probably didn't want to do was not integrate Sancho into a team that was already struggling because usually what happens is when when a manager or a team are struggling, they tend to then chop and change. But it was a bit a bit of an odd sequence of events that where United had really good players that were not getting get getting the game. So I think it was Inevitable that Sancho did get his chance, and then Ranyuk will probably take Sancho, probably Van der Beek, Fred, you know, the players who are used to playing a bit more of high intensity and aggression, and he'll probably integrate them and they'll have a new lease of life. Um, Sancho, I think, when he joined United, he joined off the back of the Euros where he didn't play that much. Um, there was all the controversy over the penalties, and on top of that, he didn't have a pre season. So, his first three or four games, he looked very heavy and leggy. And I think um, what's changed with him is probably just the confidence, knowing that even if he has a, a poor 10, 15 minutes, he's not going to get dragged off. And the next game, he's probably going to start again. So he's able to just keep that momentum game to game. 
the new manager then with this game coming up obviously on Sunday he's just done his press conference as, as we're recording this he seems very very committed to the fact that yes he's just an interim manager but there is the consultancy role to follow his commitment's absolutely huge one of the things that I think sometimes gets lost in this we often see new managers coming in as potential saviors the point here is that this is now the six months is one thing but then the consultancy role is to follow it is essentially the biggest opportunity and the biggest job of, of Rangnick's life and I think that's something which we, we we sort of overlook you know the I've always felt with the Klopp Liverpool thing you know Klopp was the very best manager Liverpool could have got uh, but simultaneously Liverpool was the very best thing that Jurgen Klopp could have got at that point and an opportunity then to work with a super club there's not now another move Klopp can make similarly for Rangnick if he's actually successful in what he's going to be doing for Manchester United across not just the first six months but the two years what he actually does given Manchester United's revenues the budgets where they live where they are where they sit what he actually does doesn't he is that he creates Manchester United back into to a European behemoth and this is the the job that he's that effectively that it, in his role you would always have wanted to be able to do it's a huge opportunity for him yeah it's a massive opportunity I think what's actually quite interesting I, think, I didn't really watch much of the press conference but I know that um, Ranyuk actually stated that it you know it will be a six month interim but there may be potential for him to suggest you know one year might be a bit better to implement a few more of his changes and set up that structure which which is very interesting because I think Rangnick probably identifies and realised that six months might not be enough time to get the players where he probably would like them to be in the longer term for the next manager to come in but at the same time he knows that he this is not a managerial role for him to do in the long term so I think he's very well aware of the situation at hand I think what is quite promising with the consultancy role, obviously we don't really know what that will entail until it actually happens, is that he can probably have a bit of a blueprint in terms of the types of players that Man United bring in, whether that's in January or in the summertime, and then over the next two two years, which will then influence the type of manager that we'll bring in, because usually what will happen is United will bring in a manager and then our transfers will refer or relate to that manager we're bringing in rather than having someone who's already at the club saying this is how we play this is the style of play that we want let's bring a manager to suit that so i think that might actually be benefit for united in the long run if he's given the the power to make changes and and you know make leeway through um signings on the field Sunday then. He's only really going to get one session with the Max, I would have thought, before Sunday. But, you know, the footballers, they're all smart enough. You mentioned before the reintegration of Ronaldo, the Sancho in there as well. Uh, Fred being the enigmatic force of nature that he sometimes manages to be through these matches. Are you expecting many changes before Sunday? Or do you think, you know, the good thing that he gets is he gets a bit of a training game in Europe because there's no way United don't qualify at the very least for the next phase of the Champions League now. Do you think he'll be looking to effectively get the best he can on the pitch for this first one against Palace, then maybe use the opportunity in the European game to look at a couple to begin to integrate his ideas. Are you expecting much different for Palace or do you think it will just be broadly what was what was left to him off the back of the last game? Um, I think he'll probably, he'll probably make one or two changes depending on who's fit because I know at full-back teller, Sean Dallow played and they're usually not seen as United's first choice fullback, so 
it depends on the fitness of Juan Bissaka and Luke Shaw. Apart from the rest of the team, I think it will predominantly stay the same. Rashford might drop out because he's quite poor. He seemed like he's still um, carrying a knock. And interestingly enough, I think in I saw some of the reports from um, Rangnick's um, press conference when he talked about like the attacking talent. He he mentioned Greenwood and Martial. So it's interesting that he mentioned those two players and not the other players. Um, Obviously, he said Ronaldo is, is Ronaldo, but to single out like Greenwood and Marshall might seem that, you know, especially with, you know, the tactics that have been touted that he likes to play like mm. a 4 4 2 4 2 2 hybrid. Marshall and Greenwood as a pair, as a front pair, could work. So um, maybe not for Palace, maybe in the European game because you've already qualified and you might make a few changes, bring in those two players that I mentioned, might give Ahmad um, a game who's back from, from injury and he was on the bench last night. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd expect maybe just what one or two changes, maybe a fullback. Uh, last little thing, going to win? Yeah, Palace, um, I think their good start is going going a bit, yeah, drifting a little bit. It'll be difficult because Palace do cause United issues at Old Trafford, but I expect a, a close victory. Great stuff there from Teza as ever. United versus Palace, very briefly, John, should be a good game. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think I think it should be. I'm looking forward to the Sunday games generally. Um, to be honest with you, uh, sit on the sofa <laughs> um, and and you know after Saturday, hopefully Liverpool have done the business and and sort of watching them. Yeah, so yeah, looking looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, but the next one to look forward to then Tottenham versus Norwich. It's a little confidence boost and run potentially for Tottenham, uh, Harrison. I think the weather did them a massive favour uh, going to Burnley after they had the terrible yeah. Europa League run. If that storm hadn't been quite as bad, but still pretty bad, the idea of dealing with... It's the one place on if you don't want to come. Yeah, just, just as a human, to be honest with you. Where's John Gibbons' house? <laughs> <laughs> you just would be left uh, in turf more. I think that's done them a favour. A bit more time on the training ground as well. Mm. Helped them out for this week. They've got the win there against Brentford, and now they find themselves up against Norwich also at home, Harrison. It w- if you're Conte, you couldn't have asked for much more here to build to build confidence. And you say about training day, look how the job Conte did at Chelsea. That was probably based off his training method, wasn't it? In terms of getting them on the training ground, how quickly they adapted to a system. At Spurs, it's not been as quick, but how many days has it been without a game for them between them two games? Was it like five, six days in the Premier League in December? You, don't, you never get that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's something that they've got to take advantage on. And when you beat Brentford at home, the next game that you're looking for to keep momentum is probably not at home. Yeah, and it's it's a very good opportunity, and it's not a good opportunity, just a good opportunity for them to win. It's a good opportunity to win and score goals and get Kane on the board and get Son scoring some more. And there's a big chance for Spurs here to capitalise. Obviously, you know they've got Liverpool coming up and not not um, too distant future, so they'll be looking to be in a very good moment by the time they play us. I'm, I presume the the striking thing about them against uh, Brentford on the highlights that I saw, John, is that they were creating good chances. Tottenham created good chances, and that's. They'd still love a world, I think, where they were able to feel that Kane's going to get back to scoring two in every three games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that sort of rate of, of sticking the ball in the back of the net. That's still the question mark. It is still to come. Norwich at home is an opportunity for that. You get the impression he's going to begin to work out how to get the best out of whatever he decides is his front three soon. Yeah, and I think, as you say, that the, the game is an opportunity to, to, to get some goals into them and, and, and listen, they, they've done a bit better recently, but they're still where they are in the table, so it's for a reason, really. It's interesting one with Kane, isn't it? Because he, he has a good international break, uh, albeit, you know, not the best sort of opposition, but he's but he's, but he's in the goals and he, and he looks sort of sharp, really. And then you think, oh, you know, is he going to sort of take this back? I think there's 
still a little bit from the summer where where everyone sort of feels a bit unsure about about what happened and I think it's it's taken a bit out of him um, emotionally I think you know in terms of you obviously making that decision that he wanted to go would have been a hard one for him and then sort of you know then then you know going through all that and, and being open and then sort of not leaving uh, mm-hmm. I think sort of has been a bit, bit sort of tough on him really and he and he feels like he's carrying that still and I think I think I think you know we'll continue to do so but you know it's a nice game isn't it you know it's a nice one to sort of have really and a nice opportunity as you say Neil for some of these attacking players to get in the goals the one thing you would say is since Dean Smith's got into Norwich they've stopped giving away anywhere near as many chances for had. so I think it's not you know Tottenham will have to work for it it's interesting you know it's a reminder at times that the managerial stuff. We're going to come on to talk about Stephen Gerrard, who's also tightened up Villa. Well, yeah. the fellow who's the Villa manager has gone and tightened up Norwich. <laughs> What's the? And it, it can at times just be a different voice. It can be someone else. It can be just a couple of new ideas. It can be just 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 another outlook. Very very quickly, you know. No, at times you've got to remember. Maybe these fellas just aren't. There's not that much difference between them, and they're all all right, really, and they're doing the best. I like it. It's it sort of stopped happening, but I always felt like it was almost like there was an agreement. A new manager could come in and just say like, "Oh, the fitness is terrible." Yeah, <laughs> uh, just Gerrard's done. That and base, but basically, yeah, and then the last fella's just got a cough for it because yeah. he's going to do it to another fella. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I agree, all agree. Yeah. The League of Managers Association basically, you're allowed to walk in and say, the, the, the joke these, they're all fucking overweight, yes, yeah. and the last fella's got a cough for it because you can do it as <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, he has tightened them, um, a little bit, you know, fewer chances being given away, so it. I'd be really surprised if Tottenham don't find a way through to win this. They just might have to put up with a slightly unpleasant hour yeah. where you're, you're left sort of thinking like you're knocking on the door. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing you want if you're, if you're a Norwich fan, you know, at that game, you, you do want to see that fight. Not, not that it's not been there throughout, through the season, but you do feel like that there needs to be that kind of pride in defending almost, which I feel like when, at least when I've seen us play Norwich and, you know, Liverpool can make any team look silly to be fair, but, you do feel like they sometimes just don't aren't quite there. And Dean Smith seems to be, you know, you, you hear lots of great stories about him and, and and how he can kind of get into into players and man management, all of that. And I'm sure that's all kind of helped because it is a young group at Norwich, isn't it? It's a young it's a young team, and they could they could really do with someone coming in and and dealing with them on that level. And I just feel like Spurs, you know, you, the last game you've seen you've seen them back to their you know the fluid best at the front. I think that's when we've seen the best Tottenham teams and and the best of Kane and Son when the, when they are interchangeable, when they can move freely and and they're sort of on each other's wavelength. And if one of them, just one of them, are off, then it can disrupt the whole kind of momentum going forward. But you, you are seeing clear kind of goals that I have identified with Tottenham in the past. The, the patterns of play that that, that work for them so well. So I, I feel like any side at the moment, you know, will struggle against that because they, they are individually great players. And when three of them, you know, whether it is more that comes in there, um, they, they are great as a, as a collective as well when they're really on it. And if they can they can kind of win those balls in midfield and, and, and keep kind of things ticking there and be quick on the transition, they'll they'll cause Norwich all sorts. Um, then half past four Villa versus Leicester um, it was done before the Gerard move uh, but it does feel like the, the Gerard Rogers thing uh, on television uh, for everyone to, to the viewing pleasure on Sunday the season never seems to actually start for Leicester for me John every single time I'll have a little look and I think they're going to run now they're, they're, oh yeah that's out the way they're going to run now they're, nothing's lost uh, for, for Leicester you know they're still in, they're still in both competitions in, in a cup sense that they've started with they've still got as much of a claim to think that they can still finish fourth I'd say as anyone else possibly uh, just about within reason but you're just waiting for that moment where Leicester go you know suddenly you look at it and they've took 10 points from 12 from, from a possible 12 and it's not happening yeah I, I'm, I'm with you Neil I keep expecting them to sort of click in it and it doesn't seem to be happening for them at the moment I think there's you know there's still quality you know throughout the squad when, when you sort of look at them but for whatever reason 
you know, it's just not happening for them. I wonder whether it's an expectation thing or whether it's a, you know, the team's just coming to the end of the, the, the journey a little bit. And that might be the case for the sort of the manager as well. You know, what do they do? What do they do yeah. next? Do you know what I mean? They've, they've won the FA Cup. They've had that big moment. So I just wonder whether that's going to be, you know, the big the big you know, thing when we look back and say, oh, they, they, they won the FA Cup. And that was a sort of a crowning thing. You know, they haven't managed to get top four yet. You know, it, as you say, Neil, you know, they're still in the shell because, you know, it, it, it is tight, but I don't. I don't think they will do it. I don't. I think there's there's other teams better placed to sort of get that really. So, I think for all of them, really, they're all they're all sort of maybe doing a bit of looking around each other and say, well, what's next? And I think you know the what's next might be, you know, a, a move for a couple of them, including the manager. I think it's one Harrison where John mentions there the manager. He's always, I, I feel as a manager, been really, really good when he's got momentum. momentum. And that's, you know, he's, he's very good at getting, he's very good at keeping momentum going when it happens. Suddenly, you know, the, the what I said before about 10 and 12, you know, and also just tweaking it here and there, knowing when to freshen it a little bit to keep the momentum going, knowing who to rest, knowing what little way to maybe just make the side a little different, but not too much. That's where I think he's at his very, very best. Where I think he struggles is to get into the momentum position in the first place or to arrest it if it's gone the wrong way. And I, I, do, I do sort of feel like it's it's so spluttering now, you're beginning to wonder, is this just going to be the story of the season where Rodgers can't quite just get the car engine pairing as yeah, he like? he can't go. And it is a good point. Rodgers is a very momentum manager, yeah. isn't he? And it's a, it is a good point, and I think it might tie back to the fact that the Premier League has just has improved, yeah. and it's hard yeah. to get momentum. Do you know what I mean? And it's not necessarily that he's changed much, or the players have got worse. Well, they probably have aged a fair bit, but everyone's just better. And tactically, I think you look at the managers in the Premier League now; it's the best. Up. I think it's the best it's ever been personally. Yeah, totally the up. players, the technical ability, and Rodgers' side were always based on possession-based football. And at the time, especially when he was at Liverpool, it wasn't necessarily the most popular thing in the world that was still very much we're that way huge type of mentality throughout the league but now more times than not teams want to play proper football and it's about adapting and I think I just look back at Leicester and I just think last season I might be wrong I swear they were 30 minutes away from top four yeah. they, they were beating Tottenham and do you know what Joe never got top four I never got the sense that it was we're gutted it was like oh, we were close it's a good league we were close we've done well and I just think it's holding them back it's two years on the run now where they were that close to getting top four and I think imagine if that was I don't know who else. Imagine that was Spurs. Jeremy, it was Spurs in the last day and they bottled it against Leicester and they were that close to getting top four. You'd imagine that, even though Spurs, the Spurs aren't they? You'd still imagine that they had to be very, very upset. I never got that. And I just think that holds them back. I think it might be a mentality thing at Leicester. It could well be to come into this one against Villa, as I say, waiting for it to waiting for it to come, waiting for it to go. Be a big game for Villa, uh, home game with the new manager obviously in charge. And the one thing that would be concerning me if I was Rogers is that Gerard's already done a bit of his the astonishing, surprising thing about Stephen Gerrard as the manager up in Scotland, which is that they gave away, gave away Rangers very, very, very few chances and very, very few, very few good chances. And now already Villa, you know, so far with Gerrard being in, that's been the story. Uh, even Manchester City, yes, they scored two goals, but they weren't cutting them apart. They weren't creating chance after chance after chance against them. Mm. And you do sort of feel as though, and I think it's so weird, by the way, can we just laugh at the fact that Gerrard's a really... Boring manager. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Considering like, the player he was. Yeah, exactly. Considering the sort of football that he was. Like, maybe all the way to do with this when he was playing, he was just like, we just got to keep it tighter. 
it's got me doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Just sitting. Yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, the, the, that he's a manager. He's not a boring manager. He's a really interesting manager. I think more accurately than what he's producing is games with little incidents, um, and that's what he did at Rangers. And as I say, it's striking to me for what he's already managed to be doing it to an extent at Villa. Yeah, and he's brought the fitness levels up. You know, he's, he's, done, he's done it all. Yeah, it is interesting. He's really good to listen to as well. I think yeah. I've listened to some of his his post match interviews, and he is he is great to kind of listen to, and, he, and his insights great as well. And I do think Villa, you know, the ingredients have always been there. That they they've sort of it almost feels like he's almost trying to get back to what they were doing so well last season. In in a sense, with 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 how solid they were in midfield, and you know, John John, John McGinn, Josh McGinn, well, John, John McGinn, he, he seems to have come alive again under Gerard. He, he's scoring some great goals, and you know, if he can get Ollie Watkins as well purring again, then they've got real danger there for for any side, let alone Leicester, who who do look softer at centre half. You know, you do, you do feel like Sionchu's just never really gone back to, to what he was. fell off a bit, Annie. Yeah, and 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 he is playing quite a lot, I think, and it's it will be interesting to see how they how they deal with him in that place, and and you know, there's young players there as well at, at Villa coming through who look really good. That Ramsey yeah. looks like a good a good prospect, and who better to have than Steven Gerrard to kind of get you through into your career? He's got that thing, and he really has like a coach for defenders, coach for midfielders, and a coach for attackers. And look, I've only watched clips and part of it, and I was looking some attack and build up clips of them. Like I've seen a little video on Twitter, and the, 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 I think the main thing that Gerrard has to do is get Buendia playing. I think he's yeah. very much gets them ticking and he creates a big chance at the end and a lot of his down to Buendia and he's a very good player and he's a very good player in the attack and third. Do you know what I mean? And you can help with the build up play but in terms of you want to create chances, he's the man that you want on the ball and they never really had him flying at the start of the season and if you can get him ticking, I think he could be very key to Villa doing well. As I said before, City you know, a Diaz goal, uh, the f- frankly phenomenal Bernardo Silva goal, John, which uh, just don't know, great player, but what I mean, what a goal it is from, from from box to box. It's just tremendous football and a great finish. But apart from that, again, keeps the the quality chances down. Uh, three games that he's had so far, uh, two better than uh, 0.2 xg chances given away. One is the the late Crystal Palace goal in the 94th minute. In the games, the three games prior to Gerard's arrival, there were seven chances Villa gave away. Revalue uh, best in 0.2 expected goals. Just suggests to me, says to me, that's going to be his focus. And it certainly started off being his focus is just absolutely shutting down any opponents, making it as hard, as difficult as he can for them. Yeah, it, it looks that way. And, and I think he's getting buy-in from the players, isn't he? You know, if had spoke there about, you know, how impressive, impressive he is in, in press conferences and stuff, you imagine the dressing room, you know, he's the same, you know, he's... He's took, you know, big coaching staff down there with them, people like Gary McAllister, you know, um, guys like that. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, rave about him as well. Lot, yeah, yeah about his training yeah. sessions are unreal. That's what everyone says. Like, his, his sessions are absolutely unreal. And so, like, I think, I think they're enjoying it. Um, if you want to mention there, Ollie Watkins, you know what I mean? You, you imagine he'd be someone who you think the manager can get, get a lot out of. I know he's tried him, you know, on the left of a, of a free and, and sort of down the, down the middle as well. And, there's, there is a lot to work with there, but as I say, it feels like the players are, are enjoying it and they're buying into it and feeling like, they, you know, they could be on the cusp of something decent. All right then, uh, on Monday night, it's Everton versus Arsenal. Uh, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, John spoke to him earlier today. Uh, here he is. The Friday show is just one of the shows that we do that is not Liverpool specific every single week. We know that so many of you subscribe because you love the Liverpool-based content and you love the fact that we are based in the heart of the city and tell the story of supporting Liverpool. But what we wanted to do in part to make this show free up until the third round of the FA Cup weekend was for you, all the listeners, to be able to tell your friends about what it is we do, whoever they support, and also let them know that we do do a fair 
uh, bit of content of work that is not specific to Liverpool. Uh, we've got the shows such as Coach Home, this one, the Friday show, Top Six, Lower League, European show, and Three Strikes, all of which take a general look at football in different ways and get voices of different supporters from all around the country on that as well. And we try to enjoy ourselves on the Anfield Wrap. We do think that hopefully people do get to have a laugh with us. Uh, we have shows such as AFQ, uh, Agony, and Ban This Filth, all of which are meant to be enjoyable. Hopefully you find them enjoyable if you don't ignore that bit. And then on top of that as well, we always try to be across football issue-based stuff in my conversations with Rory Smith and others around things that are going on in the much wider world of football and the way in which football is administrated. So for the next few weeks, if you like what you hear, do consider subscribing to the Anfield app, maybe even if you don't support Liverpool, or if you've got friends and you've been raving on to them about the Anfield app saying you should check this out, it's really, really good, and they're a bit like me to support Manchester United, why do you think I'm going to enjoy this? Maybe ping this one over to them, see what they think about it, let them know about the other shows as we go as well, and hopefully uh, they can get into it too. It is the Anfield app, it is the Friday show, we are proud of what we do, we hope that you're proud of what we do, and we hope that you would like to share it with others. It's John Gibbons with Jordan, Chad O'Brien and Jordan. Um, as the last night then, um, eventful game, what did you make of it? <laughs> um, I thought it was a game that was in large parts quite tepid, uh, lacked intensity at parts. Um, I didn't think it was a brilliant game, despite there being five goals. I thought Arsenal were unlucky to not get something from it. I think Arsenal deserved to get, get, get at least a point. I don't think United were very good. Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed, if I'm being honest, that Arsenal, who were not amazing by any stretch of the imagination, lost to, to Manchester United. This is not a good Man United team that didn't play well. And to, to let in three goals and come out of no points, I think is, is poor. Um, and it feels a little bit like an opportunity to miss because you'd like to think, well, not like to think, but... Uh, there's a high chance that United would never be this poor again. So this was a chance to capitalise, as Liverpool did, as Watford did, as Man City <laughs> did, on a United team on the floor. And it feels like we and Chelsea, to a less degree, on the weekend just haven't done that. So I thought it was a great. It was a game that wasn't great. I think even for the neutrals, it wasn't a particularly great game. Um, but one I'm disappointed that we didn't get anything from for sure. Why was it? Do you think that Arsenal weren't able to capitalise like those other teams could? I think a lack of experience and, and ruthlessness. I think a lack of experience in managing the game. One of my biggest gripes for years about Arsenal has always been managing games at particular stages of the game. So what I mean by that is letting in early goals when the game starts. Or one of our biggest crimes, football crimes of the years, is letting in goals in that kind of window of the 40th to 45th minute. Um, and we did that. I said to my friends in the bar last night, one nil up, we're playing okay. United are having possession but not hurting us. Just get to half time. Just get to half time. You know, they're going to have to regroup. They're going to have to rejig. And we couldn't even do that. And the goal came from a mistake, a poor clearance. So it was disappointing for me because I just think a lack of experience would have managed the game in those moments, knowing when to stick in and ride it out, let them have their 10 minutes period, but know that we've got the defence to withstand it. But no one's kind of like, okay, you've had your 10 minutes now, like a boxer. You've been on the ropes 10 minutes, you tired yourselves out, now we're going to get the second and really kill you off. I think that lack of ruthlessness and experience showed yesterday when the best players on the pitch were our youngest players. Yeah. It was, you know, Gabriel's not young, he's not old, but Emil Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Aubameyang was shocking. Partey was awful. 
And I just think that if those experienced players had, had used their experience yesterday, last night, I, I think the game would have, would, have, would have gone a different way. That's interesting, it's interesting. You had a, a great September and October and uh, Arsenal. Uh, it's a trickier uh, November. Is this a bit of a reality check for Arsenal or do you not really feel the reality check was needed and you sort of knew where you were at anyway? I think the latter. I think I think we kind of I knew where we were at anyway. I mean, the the, the last the run we was on was a run that everyone has been hype has been praising, and I think Arteta deserves credit for turning around the initial part of our season. But when you look at all those games in the last the last ten eleven games, we pretty much won all the games that we should have won, and we lost the one game we should have lost, which was to your mob. So <laughs> in that sense, it wasn't. It, it, I didn't really learn anything. Um, from, from our run other than okay Arteta's now got his players in got his team in I'm starting to see now more so what he's trying to do we've got Everton next who we're hoping they're still going to be sore from the battering that your mob gave them the, 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 the other night and we have got some you know some tricky games coming up but these are the games where I'm looking for response we lost to Liverpool I wanted a response we beat Newcastle we've got it we've lost now to Man United we have to beat Everton if we are serious about trying to compete for that top four definitely top six standing, we have to win against Everton. Everton are not in good, good form. They're not a great team. Um, and we need a reaction. So I'm, I'm looking, despite on paper, we've got some tricky games coming up. I'm not going to let the United game get me down too much or derail where I think we are too much. I think it was a bad game, but we wasn't awful. We, we just didn't turn up to the way that I know that we can. But despite that, I'm still looking at our target, which I think is top six even top four now, I'm thinking we're competing with Spurs, United and West Ham and, and Leicester. It's four teams there. If Leicester is about competing, we, be, we have to be coming through this next period um, uh, with, with, with more wins and losses. And, and I, I think majority wins. So I think it's a big test for Arteta. It's about the reaction now. The, 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 the next game for me is massive. You lose to Everton, you lose to United, I'm disappointed. You lose to then Everton, but it's like, okay, we're, having, we're back to square one. Yeah. So um, I'm, look, I'm looking for a reaction and, and, and I think we'll get one. Um, will he rotate, do you think? Is there anyone back? Is, or will it be more or less the same team as he played against United? There's no one out injured from what I can think of who I think is on the cusp of or, you know, should be, should be starting. The only player I think the Arsenal fan base is talking about as someone that maybe should be coming in is quite, quite divided is Kirantini, a left-back. Yeah. He's been fit for a while now and Tavares has been good and I think Arteta's gone down the route of well, apart from the Liverpool game where everyone was poor, He's been pretty good, so why would mm. I drop you? Um, that made a decision. Aubameyang, I think, is the big one now. Um, your star striker, your captain. Uh, there's, there's talk. I would have dropped him ages ago. I wouldn't have started him last night in the United right. game. I, I think his place is under serious threat, only by default, by the fact that he's not playing very, very well. There's no one else, like, Lacazette is playing okay, but there's no one that's kind of saying, I'm on form, <laughs> you should, you've got to play me, so... If Aubameyang stays in the team, it will only be because there isn't a kind of viable and vociferous option to, to replace him. But no, 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 I can't foresee any, any major um, changes in terms of the personnel over the next, the next kind of couple of games. I think it's more now about the team showing a bit of metal and saying, OK, we need to kind of put another run together. Let's start against Everton. Let's go. Let's put the Liverpool and the United games to one side and, and, and persevere back on some kind of a run. Let's see if that happens. Uh, Jordan, top man, thanks a lot for joining us. Back to the main show. Always a, pl a pleasure to speak to Jordan to check out his talk sports show if you get the opportunity to do so on a Saturday. Uh, the absolute business, and he's trying to do it a little bit differently. Um, Jordan's done 
that bit, the Arsenal bit. Um, we can do the Everton bit, John. Um, it's we talked to, talked about it a little bit on tour live. To be honest with you, yesterday, without doing the, the uh, as, uh, there's lots of fibers in my being which would quite like to do the pointing uh, and the laughing. You almost don't need to at this point in that it's it just looks like it's never been less fun to be an Evertonian in every single way, and I, I genuinely do feel a bit sorry for them. They don't like the manager. They don't want him there. They didn't. They never really wanted him there. Even the ones who tried to to make a fist of it, yeah. they weren't really in, into it. It looks like he's not going anywhere anytime soon, uh, at least up until the, the turn of the year. And the fixtures are tricky at the minute. Goodison Park on Monday night, it should be the sort of thing that could be a nightmare for Arsenal. There's every chance it's a nightmare for Everton. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's been interesting in the city over the last week, really, because obviously there's some derbies where, you know, it's got a bit nasty and things like that. They're almost so busy hating their own team, they can't yeah. be bothered with us. At the moment, you know what I mean? They haven't got the yeah. energy for Liverpool. I miss the days when they used to do mixed 11s and there'd be more Everton players than Liverpool players. <laughs> Bell, you telling Carragher that Pickford's better analysis. <laughs> but at the moment, they're like... There's none not, of that, is there? No, yeah, no, no. no the they're moment. like, we haven't got time for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, and it, and it really, it emptied early, didn't it, uh, on Wednesday, you know, and, and they're just... I think they're just... A bit of a, you know, the wits end really with the whole thing, and I've seen you know a lot, and I've been reading some some, some stuff, you know, just out of interest. Is it? It's more like, how are we so poor when we've spent so much money and there's been all this, and you know, obviously Machiri coming in was meant to be sort of this this new dawn and and things, and they're just arguably in a worse position, you know, than they've ever been really because. You know, there's there's not the quality there, but there's not the sort of fight. There's, there's young lads who, who you know they want to see given a go and, and and aren't being necessarily. You know, they've got a manager who they don't like, and you know, it's 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 all you know everything that they point can point to. You know, is is a negative really? There's nothing at all for them to to you know to hang the hat on apart from maybe well, Calvin Lewin will be back soon, and 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 he's a great striker, and and maybe sort of he can sort of fire them out of it really, but. It is pretty desperate. I would say, you know, there's obviously a gulf of class between, you know, we've talked about it, the top three and the rest, and and they saw that, you know, they got evidence of that sort of on Wednesday night, really. And and so Arsenal, I think, will be an easier game for them because obviously Arsenal aren't in the class of, 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 the, of the three at the moment, but it's still like, I don't think they're looking forward to going. Do you know what I mean? I know that's the thing. It's not a case of, oh, you know, you know, we talked about knowledge before, you know, you know, they're, they're able to sort of, you know, get into this. Oh, it's a new manager. We'll have a bit of a fight and stuff. Newcastle, we talked about, you know, the ownership. This, well, we'll, we'll get behind the team. Everton haven't got any of that now. They've got nothing to galvanise themselves. I think the, the looking forward to going thing for whether John, John Fraser there is absolutely spot on. There was a lot of that before the derby when John's talked about that. It was a bit weird, really. There was a lot of... Evertonian voices, whether online or in real life or or wherever, where you'd sort of where it didn't feel like it was the gallows humour of I don't want to go. It felt like actually this person doesn't want to go. Yeah, okay. some of that might take a piece. Yeah, yeah it, that and that was there was there was a fair bit of that going round. Where in the past you've you know and we've all done it at some point as a football supporter done that. Just don't fancy this one. Don't fancy these. Can't be bothered with this. Yada yada yada. And then as you get closer and closer to the ground, a really good example's always been you know the, the, the when the puppy Barcelona four yeah. 0 Everyone always does that. Well, I was going, but I wasn't expecting anything. Yeah. Everton are going. And they're not expecting anything. And I'm very, I, I just think at the minute they are in that that horrendous place for a supporter to be in when you really are just going out of obligation and then you're getting really wound up by what's in front of you. Yeah, that, that's the issue. And and it, and it can turn, and it turns so quickly, you know, you, you think if a Monday if Arsenal get an early goal, what, what happens then? It, it just goes, you know, really, really horrible very quickly for them. And, you know, it, it is tough for the players as well, really, because if you're in that environment, 
you, you are struggling. I think it's part why he's not doing young players, by the way. Yeah. I think there's low, yeah. I understand completely why you get to that point, don't you? Just, pause, like, just play yeah. the kids then. If yeah. these are this bad, just play some kids. Yeah. As soon but, as I said that with Fowler, the knee was like, we might have ruined him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. holding him back for, you know, for, for a better situation. That obviously doesn't arrive for soon, as but does for, for Evans. But I mean, like, you know, Gray looks like a little bit of. The, the tiny little bit of light maybe in this season for them but even you know even on on, on Wednesday he it immediately gets shut down really quickly and there's, there's not really that that comfort they have at the moment in terms of being able to play and you, you know we talk about fight and all of that and they, they tried they tried even that and that they struggled to even get in in our faces and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it might be the same with Arsenal because you know if you're if you're Arteta you're, you're not looking at that as an intimidating place to go you're not you're not having that big that big talk with with your team beforehand about what it's like and everything it it can go it will go quiet very quickly if Arsenal if Arsenal get an early goal and yeah it, it's definitely not a good time the players look nervous though yeah look, I think the yeah. Salah chance early on coming from Townsend's poor setback and in, that's that's down to nerves that's down yeah. to the environment they're in I think it's an edgy it is yeah, yeah. and I think what's telling about Everton is John Everton are in a bad moment it does seem to be very city in city in Liverpool is like city based, doesn't it? Like we all know about it, but you wouldn't say like the rest of the country necessarily feel it. Don't like look down at and think they're in a bad, bad, bad moment. You don't really necessarily feel that, but this time round, it feels like everyone knows Everton is screwed. Well, just on that, the other thing that occurred to me, John, on on this Everton side is on the club of Everton Premier League. I've 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 always liked the line. I can't remember whose line it was, but the the, the line that the Premier League is always. Uh, a contest to not be the crisis club and someone's always got to be the crisis club there will be one crisis club in the Premier League and you've got to not be it in a really interesting way Everton sort of avoid that conversation and again non- th- th- because they're not sort of anymore I think unfairly given the size of the, the, the supporter base but they're not deemed to be one of the big six or anything like that so it's quite hard to be a, bi- a non-big six club and be the crisis club but right now Tottenham have got themselves the new manager yeah. everyone's waiting and seeing yeah. United have got the new manager everyone's waiting and seeing even Newcastle in a really weird way yeah. well how's it now and everyone's just got to sort of see what it's like yeah. and we haven't been able to see it yet Everton have suddenly been have suddenly had the crisis club mantle thrust upon them and my god they're living up to it <laughs> yeah, they were having a really good go. Well, like, I saw him, you know, I was at Sky Sports News on yesterday, and it's, it's Everton, you know, they've got the lads from Toffee TV on to talk about it. Machiri's texting in saying, oh, it's all fine and all that. And it's like, yeah. you know, state propaganda type <laughs> you know, It's, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, I think Harrison's point, uh, you know, on sort of, you know, are the rest of the country sort of onto it yet? But, but I think that I've been getting there at the moment, and I think. Uh, you know, obviously a home home sort of thumping in a derby will do that. I think if they don't win Monday and they get booed off again, you know, it's it is really tough because like you've just said there, Neil, there's I think all the clubs around them have got a bit more to go, well, well maybe this, you know what I mean? A bit more to believe in, a little bit more light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. really, whereas Everton are just in the pitch black and wondering what's going on. I feel like it's it's almost worse than a crisis club because, you know, I feel like the, the crisis club term gets slapped on when, when you know, there's there's an issue been building, but then suddenly it's it's really bad really quickly in a, in a short burst. But this has been growing for so long yeah. that, you know, you, for, before the game, they flashed up the, the amount of managers that have been there since Klopp's taken over. And I think they're on six... And it, you know, that's crazy to, to think considering what, what was there before that period with the stability that they had in that sense. And there's just so many people for them to be angry at. You know, it goes all the way from, from the top of the club all the way down to the players. And, you know, even players that they, that they usually like, Lucas Dini, for example, he just looks a shadow and, and he's always been one, no matter how bad they've been, who's, who's been all right, right you know. They, they, They'd like to go, love to go on. He's, he's the best left back in, in the world. But you know, now I don't think any of them are saying Absolutely. that. And that's Salah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I draw what to a degree. I feel sorry for Rafa. I think some Everton fans have said that themselves, where 
you're looking at it and you're saying, right, he's inherited the squad. That's not his. Yeah. He's had no funds. The best players in the derby, for me, was Damari Gray for, for them, yeah. by the way. It was Damari Gray by Country Mile. But the ones who else weren't too bad was probably Tarnton and even Rondon. Rondon, he's crap. See the video of the standing clapping when he got subbed off. But I think the three players that he's brought in were their best players against us. And all the rest, yeah, Aaron's the big money chairman. That's what's like that. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the players that... Right, he's, had, he's a good manager in Rafford place that he's brought him. If I, not Rondon, but Townsend and Damari Gray have probably been the best players this season. The players that he's inherited, the players that they all love, so your Allens, your Dinye, they've been crap. They've been nowhere to be seen. Dinye on the on Wednesday, that's the worst I've seen him in a while. Yeah. He was horrendous and they go on about how great he is and it's, it's mad. Like, you've got to feel sorry to Rafa because the players that he's brought in are doing a good enough job. It's the players that he's inherited. I just fell off. Okay, thank you very much indeed to Harrison, to Fuad, to John, uh, also uh, to Jordan, to Teza and to Andy. It has been your Friday show. I hope you've enjoyed it immensely.